so I was asked uh, to do a promotional ride to link, I believe it was seven or nine restaurants. It's a bit of a blur together on a poutine tour. And seven of us started and I had whatever gear I could cobble together. And I ventured out uh, with this group and they turned around after about 70K to eat nine poutines over a couple days. I really want to see people on bikes. It's a great time with Canada 150, with what we're seeing with Mother Nature. Um, why fly across the world? As I read, read wrote my article, you don't need to fly to Brussels, Belgium with a passport when we have it in our backyard. That's Brian Sklarchuk. And this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Hey, Bike Pack Canada. This is Safari Ari. It's currently January 22nd. I'm about 50 kilometers from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Been on the road since November 12th. Pedaled approximately 2,600 kilometers across Newfoundland, across Prince Edward Island, across half of Nova Scotia, and now I'm finishing the second half of Nova Scotia. Anyways, I love the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. Great job. Cheers. Hey, Bike Pack Canada. This is Safari Ari. It is February 9th. I am currently in Digby, Nova Scotia, about to take the ferry to St. John, New Brunswick. It's a beautiful sunny day. Currently I have biked 3,300 kilometers across Newfoundland, across Prince Edward Island, and I just finished Nova Scotia, and I'm about to enter my fourth province, New Brunswick. Anyways, love the podcast, love what you're doing, keep up the good work. Talk again soon. Hello again, friends, and welcome back to the Bike Pack Canada podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Safari Ari, thank you for those voice intros. It's good to hear from you. Uh, you sent me a couple over the last couple of weeks, so I thought I would just kind of moosh them together and put them at the beginning. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, Ari's riding his bike across Canada. He started in Newfoundland uh, a couple months ago, and he's been slowly working his way across the country. And uh, it's pretty incredible. The, the kindness of strangers he's experiencing is mind-blowing, and I think he's having a fantastic trip. Uh, if you don't follow Ari already, you can check him out. It's Ari Hugerbrug on uh, Facebook. Um, that's where I would recommend you go. He's got lots of stories and lots of pictures of the people he's been meeting and um, some stories about some of the weather he's been having. He's a badass, and he's uh, riding his bike across Canada, and he started in the winter. So, um, yeah, this, I think it's uh, some highway therapy for this boy. So I think he's uh, he's really enjoying it, enjoying seeing Canada the way he has, and he's pretty experienced. So uh, we're going to be talking in a couple weeks. Uh, there's going to be a podcast conversation with uh, he and I, and uh, it was fantastic, and I hope you enjoy it. So if you want to send me a voice intro, you can do so by whipping out your device, recording some audio, and then emailing it to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. Do that, and I'll put it at the beginning of the show. Um, they've been coming in lately. I'm really happy about that. Uh, there was kind of a quiet time there for a while, but I really like getting them. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, man, sitting on the couch dreaming about bikepacking. Uh, or if you're listening to a podcast and you had an epiphany and you want to share that, send me a voice intro. You can support Bikepack Canada by heading over to Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to us on and giving us a five-star rating. You can do that and also throw, throw a review in there. I love hearing from you guys and the reviews and the five-star ratings help us grow. So uh, do that for me. Do me a favor. Do it. I'd appreciate it. And let's keep this thing going and growing. 
Hey, before we get started here, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to some of the Canadians who are racing in the Atlas Mountain Race. Uh, R.J. Sawyer, who I've talked to on the podcast. You can go back through the archives and check that out. Awesome guy. Uh, Christian Mayer, who's actually leading the Atlas Mountain Race currently, which is pretty fantastic. He's ahead of uh, Sofiane Seeley by a handful of kilometers. And uh, there's also Jenny Tuff and Michael. I'm going to screw up your name, dude. Michael Lapchevic. L-A-P-C-E-V-I-C, Lapchevic. Uh, I'm sorry, I screwed up your name if I did. Uh, so RJ, Christian, Jenny, and Michael, I want to wish you all the best in your journey and uh, to keep the rubber side down out there in Morocco. It's fantastic. I've actually, so I've chatted with RJ before. Uh, I've reached out to Christian in hopes that he will uh, get back to me. Maybe we can have a conversation about this journey. And I've also reached out to uh, Jenny and I will reach out to Michael because I want to hear about this race. Um, I've been to Morocco and I always wondered what it would be like to ride bikes there. And uh, by the looks of it, it looks pretty fantastic. So um, I wish all you racers out there luck, all of you uh, from whatever country you're from. Uh, Keep the rubber down, uh, ride safe and uh, take care of each other out there. Okay, have a good one. Brian Sklarchuk wants to make bikepacking and cycling more accessible in Manitoba. He admits that Manitoba might not be the hotbed of bikepacking, but uh, from what I've seen, pictures and the amount of gravel they have out there, I think it'd be fantastic. It would be a fantastic place to go and tour. Um, So he's changing the face of that there, and he wants to make cycling more accessible. And I'm not going to give too much away because Brian pretty much sells it for himself during the podcast. Uh, Very passionate cyclist super interesting background. And uh, what was interesting to me as well in this conversation is just to learn about the history of Canada, uh, specifically in Manitoba and the way it was homesteaded back in the day and the culture, the very deep uh, Dutch and French culture they have there. Uh, Very, very interesting place. And uh, maybe one day I'll go there. I can't wait, maybe. And um, But I really enjoyed this conversation with Brian, super passionate guy, very entrepreneurial, and he's using his entrepreneurial spirit to basically awaken cycling and bikepacking in Manitoba. So without further delay, I bring you Brian Sklarchuk. ...that are very inclusive, um, that really start getting people to think, okay, we need to think differently about our, our footprint, how we do things, how we can experience the environment, how we can experience life and, and really do it in a slow way that uh, is kind of make, telling the mother nature, you know, we're, we're here with you. We're going to try to do this hand in hand and, um, it's an interesting time. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, I agree. I agree with the, the bike packing thing. I think that's what's almost appealing about it is, is you kind of get to slow down a little bit and just take it all in. Even, even if you're, even if you're hammering, you know, it's still slowing down. Like life is so fast. Yeah. If I find, and it's just the only time really um, like, I don't know about you, but I ride by myself so much. Like I'm alone all the time and it's uh, it's, I think it's such a, it's such a nice meditative way to spend time where, you know, you get out of the family life for a bit, you get away from work for a bit and you can just kind of ride into the woods and, and just kind of like, just take a breath and just let it all go for, for a few hours. That's, yeah. a, that's appealing to me. Yeah. I, uh, I spent my lot, my life doing group rides, uh, you know, racing on the velodrome, doing team pursuits. You're staring at somebody's behind at 55 kilometers an hour. And, uh, I spent my life in, you know, in big groups and, and, you know, uh, echelons of being ridden into the Dutch gutters and everything else. And so this for me is kind of like the, uh, the awakening moment for me in a way, it is a different way of seeing the world. And I, 
Uh, wouldn't replace what I did. Don't want to go back to it. But this is this is great. I agree. This is a way to really think, but yet do it in a way that I think you can bring people out to experience it as well. I'd love um, to ride in a velodrome, man. That'd be so fun. Yeah, I spent. Uh, but I tell spent me, a lifetime. yeah, I'm interested. Like you, you mentioned, were you like a were you a bike racer, like a road racer? Or? Yeah. So I started. Uh, I started riding. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was speaking to somebody about the whole bike packing thing and trying to explain it. it's kind of like long, you know, it's like bike touring, but except a little nicer gear and fancier setups and things, Yeah, but it doesn't have to be. Um, I really started, I think at about 13 or 14, I always loved the sport. Um, you know, there is some, uh, I think it's in my DNA when my dad came over from Poland, uh, he rode uh, in Poland and raced and it was in me, it was always there. And at 13 or 14, I decided to start going on these hundred K rides with a, you know, I, sausage sandwich and a few pierogies and some buttermilk very uh, very euro I like that very euro uh, <laughs> home, homemade jerseys uh, i had an I had an aunt who made jerseys for me because we couldn't afford to buy any and he couldn't get any and i found an old pair of cycling shoes from uh, a cobbler who had them in the back of his shop and uh, so that's i just started riding and uh, i didn't think about training i just thought i could get from here to there and it would take me four hours and i would have a nap and come back yeah and uh it was great. Um, and you know, things progressed through my teens and I ended up going to some very strange camp, which I don't think anybody would send their parents to. Now you tell your parents, you're going to meet at the seedy corner in the roughest part of town and the guy in a white dance, but you have to go cycling. <laughs> and, and that was how my cycling career started. Um, you know, bounced around Winnipeg for a while. And then, uh, uh, I had a few things I was trying to do. I was trying to make, you know, I was always too short and too slow by a second here or three inches here. Um, so any great accomplishments in Canada? Not really. And then to book 20, I decided but I'd been riding the track and that's where I actually learned to race was on our old Belgium. So that was just part of my DNA. And uh, it was my first love that I would spend hours training on the track. It was just an open track, cement, 400 meters long with a 52 degree banking and you'd slide down once in a while and you just learned to ride. and be safe. Um, and in my early twenties, I had a wonderful opportunity to go uh, do this in Europe and, uh, uh, try to make a living as a professional track and road rider in that days. It wasn't the same kind of arrangements as it is today. Uh, you're working for peanuts and, uh, you're basically living off what you make. And so I rode, I raced on the track basically full time, four days a week in Ghent and uh behind motorcycles and people would bet on you so i was basically like a horse it basically was a hired horse that uh, people would bet on and where was uh, this where was this this is this is in belgium in ghent ghent that's awesome uh you know spent some time on the rebay velodrome some other velodromes in europe um and it's funny because before i got into really bike packing heavy um in my later 30s i decided to get back on the boards and uh, had a crazy idea which never came to fruition, which is probably a good thing. So I started traveling on the velodrome again uh, and uh, trying to get into the uh, Cat One Pro category again and having some fun with it. And it was, you know, it was in London, Ontario, and down the states, a few places. And uh, so, what can I say about the track? I think it, learned, it, it definitely teaches you how to ride, how to how to turn your legs, mm. how to think, how to be methodical. Um, and there's something beautiful about the silence and the simple simplification of it. And I think that's what bikepacking is. It can be. It can be really complicated or it could be simple. Yeah. And and I think that's what kind of for full circle, it feels the same, except you're not going fast and turning left. So they never reverse the track? 
No, you always go one way. Why is that? That's a great question. Like, why not? I never, I never asked. It's uh, counterclockwise, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Go that's faster and left. Yeah. really interesting. I, I, I can see how it would, uh, it would um, teach you to think on your feet because I think the top speeds on those track, what, what did you say? Like 50K an hour on, oh, a, on a fixie or? Uh, oh, 50 is slow. <laughs> I guess it's flat. So it's, and you're, what, what's the gear ratio you're, you're pushing those? Uh, it depends. Uh, the biggest gear I ever saw, i surprised I didn't blow my knees. It was a 5314 or 50. Oh my, that's huge. <laughs> and 50. keep in mind, I wasn't even, you know, the, uh, the top dogs that you see, like some of the, the big boys, this was kind of meat and potatoes, grinding it out every night, uh, motor pace racing and that kind of stuff. But, oh, they would just wind you up behind the motorbike. Like, uh, I call it a fat man on a scooter smoking cigarettes and he basically <laughs> get up to speed and then it's like a 50 lap race and it's just chaos and it's fun. Wow. That's crazy. So did, were you actually professional? I, you know, I don't be modest. I, were you paid? I'm hesitant to say, was I a full professional on the front page of a magazine? Absolutely <laughs> no. not. But you're being, getting paid one, to ride bikes. I was getting paid to ride a bike, awesome. very little. And I was grinding it out. I was kind of like the fourth liner in the East Coast Hockey League, you know, fighting it out every shift, uh, trying to you know, play for my bacon, so to speak. That's so funny. So you, um, when did you move to Canada? Or were you just kind of moving back and forth at that time? I was going back and forth. Okay. And then uh, in the mid-90s, I realized what was happening in Europe with, um, let's call it the drug explosion. Mm. And uh, became a little disillusioned because guys are going like seven kilometers faster one season. It was literally like somebody turned on the tap and everyone went fast. And uh, I came back to school and thought I could uh, go back. To, I wanted to go back to school and become an economist because, you know, nothing sounds exciting like sitting in a cubicle. Numbers <laughs> what, a, what, that, a, what a flip. That's like a 180 flip. Yeah. You, and, need, a, you uh, need a standing desk and a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And uh, then I uh, kind of dabbled, didn't really do much, just kind of still wrote a little bit and got into this endurance mountain bike stuff, which was fun. And uh, did that for a while. And then I decided one day after a grueling 15-hour ride, I want to go back to the track. It was the weirdest thing moment I had. And, and it brings me back here to where I'm doing where I'm bikepacking and riding across Manitoba and places. And, and I'd say having fun, having fun again, which is really important. That's awesome. Did you listen to the last podcast I did with, um, not the last one, before Lamar, Adventure Audio? I got to talk to Tyler Hamilton and Pete Hockenhall. I have to. Sorry, I have. No, it's I'm, fine. Uh, uh, it's interesting. I talked to. I spoke to Lamar yesterday. Did you? Uh, oh, cool. From, yeah, uh, from from Montreal. We had a wonderful conversation, and he mentioned you got to start listening to more podcasts. So uh, um, you, you're now going to be part of my morning routine when I'm riding in my dungeons. So. I love it. Awesome. Um, th it was interesting because uh, I, I didn't really want to broach that subject. The, uh, the 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 subject of doping in the cycling world with uh, Tyler, but he he brought it up. He's he's kind of an open book. And embarrassingly, I, I never actually read his book, um, The Secret Race. And so um, I I got it. I listen to books, kind of like the audio kind of thing. I'm, I, I don't have time to sit down and read a book. And I'm too antsy anyway. But uh, yeah, I get to listen to books at work. I, I devoured that book in a couple of days. But um, when, you, when you kind of indicated you know, the whole mid-90s weirdness about drugs in Europe, it's like, man, that book's crazy. I just couldn't. I couldn't get over the how saturated uh, cycling was in it at that time. And and it's kind of like, 
you know, I was a Tour de France fan kind of in the early to, to mid late nineties. And, and I remember all the stories in that book. I, I remember watching that on TV and I was always thinking that, well, I wonder, you know, I wonder like these guys are like, you watch Lance Armstrong just take off on a climb and it's just like, what? That's like alien. It was superhuman, but, but, you know, you held on to the faith that, you know, but I think there was, there was a small part of us that was like, oh, I don't know. Something's kind of weird there. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, grinding it out on that fourth line in the East Coast Hockey League, like I was doing, you know, every day, uh, finding races to go to, kind of having the plan, you know, and I didn't have any fancy cars to get there. Basically, they said, you, uh, you get a ride when you win. So basically, <laughs> the race is 60K away, you ride to the race, you get ready, you race as long as you can until you get dropped, and then you ride home. Right. And that was my life. And, uh, you know, you can... What's interesting is I, you know, the, the, the Tylers are, you know, they've, they've come, you know, they've, they've opened up about their stories, which I think are great. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, it was, a, it was a cool conversation and a really interesting book to read for sure. So then now you're in Canada, you don't race on velodromes anymore. You don't race track. No, you're not being paid. No, I, you're not being paid to ride your bike anymore. I am um, not. And you're smiling. So tell, tell us about the evolution of your, uh, of bike packing for you. Bikepacking, I think, really, you know, and I, I come back at, for me, it's it's bike touring with a different bit of a skin and different bit of a feel and flow. Um, and for me, the evolution, I think, really started. Um, I didn't one day wake up and I'm a bike packer. I think it was really shifting my conversations and gears with the people around me, believe it or not. Um, you know, the endurance mountain bike stuff was wonderful and amazing and multi-day and stage races, but it really was bike racing. And... Uh, so really the evolution for me started with um, some people around me saying, you know what, come for a long ride, come for a slow ride, come for fun ride. And my mindset for so long was go fast, turn left. <sighs> so trying to switch that mental gear was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And about three years ago, uh, a very dear friend uh, said, you know, we're going to go do a multi-day. Um, this is how you need to do things or doing things a little differently. And I still wasn't there mentally. I'll be honest. I was like, grinding it out, had the echelon going, pace line. And, and I realized afterwards that this isn't what bikepacking needs to be. Um, so for me, it was the evolution of going on rides and having a, a bike that I could, uh, a little wider tire, keeping in mind that I've been riding gravel for a long time on 40 mil tires uh, in a fixed gear doing 150K rides, 100K rides. So for me, you know, the specialty bikes really wasn't, I was already doing it. I just didn't have gear. I was just going out and suffering. But you don't need to go out and suffer. So it was really the people around me and getting a chance to slow down and see Manitoba, to be honest. It wasn't about running away from where we are. It was exploring a few areas and it really got me booked. And I would say last year, uh, two years ago, I was asked to do a ride um, and it was called the Tour de Poutine. I don't know if you know what Poutine is. Oh, absolutely. I'm from Ontario. I know what Poutine is. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, so I was asked uh, to do a promotional ride to link, I believe it was seven or nine restaurants. It's a bit of a blur together on a Poutine tour. And seven of us started and I had whatever gear I could cobble together. And I ventured out uh, with this group and they turned around after about 70K to eat nine poutines over a couple days. <laughs> a couple days. Oh my god! <laughs> and to you wouldn't need put to pack together, food. 
You wouldn't need I to pack any food. food. No. <laughs> 2,000 uh, calorie putin bombs. Uh, however, lettuce, I, I, was, I was craving lettuce the whole time. Oh, I don't really? know why. Just fresh, something watery fresh. and fresh, yeah. And they were neat putin, so they weren't your regular putin. They were like a pierogi putin, which is new to my heart oh and other my things. Oh, gosh. That's crazy. So we did this ride, and it was really an eye-opener that we have this landscape in Manitoba that's outside our door that it's fun to be in. And I think, as you, as you said earlier, you can disconnect in a quick, easy way and yet get back to reality. Um, okay, granted, you know, that many putins takes a little while to get back to reality. So the evolution really was about the people around me and the opportunity to do things a little differently Next, in my backyard. That's amazing. And then so... Um... You uh, are you developing um, a track like a, a, a Putin tour kind of event? Oh, great question! So, uh, am I developing a, a Putin event? We have the loop. It is the uh, it's more of a bike packing extreme loop for Manitoba. Um, I've pieced together a 600k loop we could do. So that's the eastern loop, and then if you want to you know do the western loop, that's another 400k. So I've ah. actually looped together a thousand kilometer loop um that would actually be a lot of fun uh i've done both of them but i haven't done them together but uh, it's there on paper are we going to do an event uh of that magnitude i'm going to say maybe oh you um, should there's there's tons of people out there that would do that i would come out and do that if i could get the time i would totally do that to be honest where are where are some of the things that we're focusing on so i'm working with an organization called bonjour manitoba which is our francophone tourism arm and um they're the ones that really gave me the nod last winter to do something formally and they had a dragon's den and they had asked me to put together a proposal to develop the, the prairie uh the valley tour nice. so they gave me a little bit of resources to help me get going to you know just just to see if this feasible and that's where the bikepacking uh, article came to be after the tour that we got some people out, tested a, a route, realized it's fantastic. So we have one loop in the Pemina Valley. Um, we have something called the Dawson Trail coming out, which is the old, uh, I don't know much about the Dawson Trail, I should, which is outside Winnipeg. And that I'm developing as well. That's going to be on and off road. Um, and then we have something called the Crowing Trail, which we're developing as a Compensdale training ground in Manitoba. Uh, so people could go get a stamp for their training so they could go to Compensdale. And we're developing a bikepacking uh, loop there as well. So we're going to have three tours available. What's the, what? Can you uh, rewind for a second? What's the stamp for the for which race? It's for the uh, for people that want to go to Spain and do the walking tour. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So you can actually get a stamp saying that you're trained and prepared to do it. Okay, so there's um, kind of um, some prerequisites before you jump into that. I believe so, uh, and the. My uh, tourism partners are kind of, they're the ones uh, kind of leading it, but they've asked me to develop the cycling side of it. Okay. okay. So really by, by this season, we're going to have three fully uh, working tours. And then we have, you know, the big tour, the big Putin, which, oh, if I get enough emails or calls, maybe I'll uh, put it together. Uh, <laughs> Do you hear that? So, everyone who's listening to this, I think everyone should reach out to Brian. And could you start, tell me how you pronounce your last name? Sklarchuk? Uh, it's, it's Smith. What? I'm joking. It's Sklarchuk. <laughs> what? That's crazy. Brian Sklarchuk. So find him, reach out to him, and let's get this event going because I think it sounds like a blast. And sorry that I interrupted you, but um, all you need is a handful of people. You don't. There, it doesn't have to be that formal. You could just put it out there and just say, hey, we're going to meet this Saturday at 7, and we're going to ride 1,000 kilometers and eat Putin, and people will show up. I'm, I, well, that It'll happen. 
do it. Well, that would be great. And, and I think the only thing that I would ask is that to finish, you have to have a, you have to have eaten at least two or three poutines. You need a you card to show your, yeah, you have to, that's your card. Yeah. You need a stamp, like a, a stamp card. So people go around and eat poutine and get it, yeah. get it stamped. Yeah. And <laughs> the, that's the, a great <laughs> idea. That's fantastic. And the areas are neat. You get to visit these really cute little rural communities. And one thing Manitoba has, which we have gravel, we have more gravel than road and we have quiet. So, uh, which is good and bad, I guess, but being on some of these country gravel roads is just really special because you're disconnecting and you're also around folks that understand, you know, you're, uh, they can see you riding by, they give you space. Um, I know when we did the Pemina Valley tour, we saw three cars oh, in two days. That's amazing. I'm just looking at the pictures you have on uh, bikepacking.com and, uh, it looks beautiful. They they could be oh. they they could be shots from the Continental Divide, really. I mean, they're not super mountainous, but a couple of those pictures, it looks like they just roll through the through the countryside, right? I think it, it just looks beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, the pictures. Uh, Dave Risto took those pictures, so a, a bit of a shout out to him. Um, and what you actually don't see in the pictures, we actually did a the extreme loop, which is an extra thirty kilometers in the Babcock Hills. And it's actually pretty steep. There's some grinders. I was pulling my Bob, uh, not my Bob, my Burley trailer. And uh, I was carrying gear for other folks. I was weighted down to about 60 pounds. And uh, the Babcock Hills were giving us a good uh, a good run for our money. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, do you have um, stats on that? So, for instance, the 1,000-kilometer loop or, or even the, what you say, the 600? Like how much elevation gain is there on those, on those tracks? Um, I'm going to say almost nothing. So if you're looking for hills, Manitoba is the place. <laughs> yeah, but that so, makes for a fast race too, right? Like if there's not a lot of climbing, then you're going to have people out there with 40 mil tires just hammering that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. However, we have wind. And, ah, oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> and the, those who can ride hills not always can ride wind because when you're getting a headwind at 60K an hour brutal. and you get to ride for 30K, you have to have a certain mindset. I was just going to ask, so um, what what kind of mindset would it take to 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 push through 60 kilometer per hour winds do, and do you have that mindset i would say it's something you develop living on the prairies and having a bit of uh, eastern stock in me and believe it or not it comes back to something you said about the slow ride that it's not about hammering through it it's about finessing through it right. realizing that you can't stop this no. you're on the prairies and the only thing you can do is just cruise and finesse your way through it yeah. And I think that's what is the equalizer that we're not talking racing here. We're talking about getting through and regardless of how quick or slow you are and not even on slow, regardless of speed, it's about getting to that and go, geez, I just basically rode the equivalent of a big mountain in France in my backyard into a headwind. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, that sounds arduous, but it looks, um, it looks really beautiful to me. So, uh, so we need to get that going. So tell me some more about the routes you're developing out there. Sure. So um, I guess the Dawson Trail is going to be, it's connecting a few little towns um, and those are east of Winnipeg. And with that route, um, and this may be a little outside the box for diehard backpacker, uh, bike packers, but we're really focusing on inclusiveness for that tour. Um, not trying to put a plug out, but I'm actually working with uh, a few companies that do e-bikes and we're going to have an e-bike option, both in a tricycle, like a three wheel and a two wheel option. For e-assist so we can bring all kinds of folks out of shapes and sizes to come out and do an afternoon ride and a bike packing an overnighter as well um, we're going to be uh, outfitted so people can have gear available to them 
And so that's going to be a route which is, uh, I'm going to say, is a, a lighter, easier version, more of an intro uh, type route. But it connects this historic trail and these really neat historical areas and great food. So when you have food, uh, good, quiet roads, and some historical reference points, I think that creates a nice ride. So that's going to be the Dawson Trail. Uh, the Crow Wing is a bit of a rougher. I'm going to say that's about a 5 or 6 out of 10 because it's, uh, it's mostly trail-based. So it's really like... Um, uh, how do I describe it? It's they are the old uh, ox ox cart routes that they use, so that's a bit of a rougher ride. Um, but we're trying to create a route there that'll connect people to a town called Saint Pierre Jolie and Saint Malo, and really follow this historic route that the settlers came up to Winnipeg. And uh, actually, looking at building some infrastructure depending on what the needs are for the communities, working and saying, well, maybe you should set up a bike wash station. Maybe you should set this up. Um, so that's going to be route number two, and that will, uh, e-bikes will be available to folks if they want. Um, not, I'm going to be testing one out to see how it feels there. And then our flagship tour, which will be in the Pemina Valley, which we're going to be offering it to uh, kind of uh, guided, uh, self-guided. Uh, if you want to have semi-supported, need some gear, we've got some early trailers, uh, tents, MSR, some other, some other gear, just light gear that you can go with and make it easy, or a self-supported word taking a group out who want to be with some like-minded folks in a different kind of way. It's uh, there's no white tablecloths. There's no fine linen. There's no massages <laughs> after your ride this, uh, but you'll eat well and you'll be treated really well by local folks and see some neat, some, some really interesting museums, um, meet some great folks, have the best sandwich in Western Canada. I'm sorry, but it's in Miami, Manitoba. <laughs> this is Miami, Subway has, in Miami, Manitoba. Uh, so yeah, we have three three loops that we're doing, and basically different varieties of uh, train, uh, train, and and challenge level. That's really cool. Um, and this is all under uh, Bonjour Manitoba. So with so Bonjour Manitoba is kind of my uh, they were I don't know what the word to describe it. They're really my supporters and the ones that have been kind of poking me in the poking me to move forward. This is through Prairie Velo, which is something that I got off the ground uh, a year ago. Uh, so through Prairie Velo, we're going to be offering some of this and um, working with a couple companies. That's been my a lot of work lately to set up so I can have access to some resources. And uh, people are interested in e-bike, be able to do some demos for them. And uh, and all, like I said, all shapes and sizes. I really think uh, the whole trike, so a three-wheeler for folks that have a bit of mobility issues that still want to do this, why not? Let's open these doors and let everyone participate. That's really cool. So when when did you develop Prairie Velo? That was last year, and that was part of the Bonjour Manitoba. Um, they had asked me to put a proposal in for developing that first tour. Uh, so I created Prairie Velo last year, and this winter is when I've really started to work on it and uh, realized that I need bikes. I need, need, need some bike lines if I want to do this right, um, and needing some to be able to offer some of the services and resources for outfitting. Very cool. And where's the HQ for that in uh, right in Winnipeg? or? It's, uh, I live and work and breathe in St. Boniface, which is our French quarter, uh, right to near the, uh, the two rivers, the Red and the Assiniboine. So that's where the HQ is. Um, I, I, I'm kind of being a little self-conscious. I don't want to put a plug out, but. Put a plug uh, out. That's I'm what this is for, man. Like really just plug it. Uh, I am a dealer for e-bike BC in Manitoba. I'm really excited about it, excited about it. I'm working with a company out of uh, Montreal. Uh, the person that you mentioned uh, that you spoke with, we're going to do a partnership. So I'm going to have some of his, some of his bikes here. Um, so I'm really excited and a kid's line. So having e-bike BC is actually opening up so many opportunities for us, for folks that can come out and do bike packing. 
that don't have the fancy gear, don't have, you know, uh-huh. they need a little bit of, a little bit of oomph. And it's an equalizing the playing field. Um, inclusive riding is what we want to do. And uh, so I have uh, a bit of a mobile dealership. Uh, that's how I'm going to work. And it's a uh, ride before, before you buy and let people try a bike or they want to come out and do a, a one day tour. They can sign up to Bonjour Manitoba which will be launching my stuff soon and uh, getting people up. I really want to see people on bikes. It's a great time with Canada 150, with what we're seeing with Mother Nature. Um, why fly across the world? As I read, read, wrote my article, you don't need to fly to Brussels, Belgium in a passport when we have it in our backyard. We live in an amazing country and we're privileged, I think, to live here and have access to, to the terrain. Do you um, encounter any uh, resistance to the use of public lands in um, in Manitoba? No. <laughs> Just like that. Nope. Because, <laughs> you know, in a lot of places, uh, you know, in Canada, the use of crown land is, is pretty, uh, uh, it's controversial. You know, like I had a bit of an experience this summer racing the lost elephant where I was kind of, you know, had the finger waved at me for for being in a place where I wasn't actually riding my bike. I was pushing my bike up up the side of a mountain. Right there's you know there's no no harm done there, but uh, it's very controversial in the Rockies and in in lots of different places. So that's why I ask and I look at some of the terrain and and uh, I I can I can kind of gather by the pictures I'm I'm looking at just just the the nature of the roads through Manitoba. So are they are they crossing Crown? Are they are they crossing um, private? private land like did you have to go out reach out to some of the landowners to ask for access or we didn't use any private uh, private land so everything we do is public roads wow it's amazing so some of these like i'm looking at this one picture on bikepacking.com and it's it looks like it's just going through the foothills yeah and uh someone in a red jersey so that that's that's public road yeah that that's me in the red jersey okay that's yeah. you that's amazing that looks beautiful um, well, it's fantastic that you don't have that struggle. So basically and, the world's your playground, really. And I will say that part of our my approach in terms of developing the roots um, as an economist, as a guy who has done business development on a very different end of the spectrum in global public health, I kind of bring some of those tools, if you will, and skills from my other life to this. So it really is about engagement and communication and gathering information from communities so they understand what you're doing their doors are you know as i say so you know the open doors they want people to come out they want to see tourism um they want to see folks spending money in the restaurant nothing makes them happier than 10 cyclists spending 25 dollars each because they're really hungry and that's economic benefit and you're spending money and this way you don't have to carry all your food and everything else you can eat really well and you know you can work on your french if you don't speak french or speak (laughs) english they don't care and you can do it differently. And you can do these great adventures for a day or an overnight or in your backyard. That's, uh, so that sounds I, wonderful. Maybe if we talk next year, I may tell you a story about having some, uh, uh, you know, some friction. But uh, to date, uh, nothing. It's been completely supported. And the one picture of me standing next to a, a gentleman who was out riding, uh, he lives in the city and comes out every weekend. And he does his own version of bike back. So it's... He's out for a ride in the afternoon on a you know on a ready trail, and that to me is 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 the inclusive part of it. Yeah, open open to all basically. Open to open to all, and and the terrain doesn't look that threatening, you know, to to some. You know, we have a lot of threatening terrain out here. You know what I mean by that? Like just you look at yeah. a mountain, you're like, holy crap, I got to ride my bike up that. Yeah. Where it doesn't seem as threatening as that, and a bit more easygoing, and 
Yeah, and the other thing that I'm doing, which I'm I'm really excited about, um, so range anxiety when it comes to the E stuff, I don't know if it's okay if I can talk about that for a minute or two. Sure, of course. Um, that would, you know, we know we saw it with the electric cars, uh, and now we're seeing it with bikes. What is really the range of, a, of an uh, electric bike? I was going to ask that. Do? Yeah. So what I'm doing, the Pemina Valley Tour, I've developed a, uh, a test bed. So I'm kind of, I call it the, it's the Pike's Peak of the e-bike world. And I'm calling all manufacturers, if they want to have their bike tested with full oh. data analytics on a 130-kilometer route with two plug-in points, um, send me a bike. We're uh, going to be uh, doing that this spring, starting in the spring. And all the measurements are based on maximum weight range of a bike. So we're not looking at, I went out and rode it for an hour, the range is good, but we're really going to take these e-bikes on this loop. And I'm starting with uh, e-bike BC, because uh, I'm going to have some of the product here uh, for sale, a uh, bit of a plug and no, it's okay. uh, it's to okay. demo. And uh, so basically, we can then look at the data and go, yeah, your bike will get you this amount of range in these conditions, which are always consistent, ceteris paribus, all things being equal. Uh, so equal testing and uh, love to have uh, be work with uh, partners who want to have a bike tested under the same conditions, same weight and same wind and same hills and same everything. The Manitoba doesn't change much. Right. It's pretty consistent, the wind. Like, is it pretty much yeah. always there? Well, we have windmills in one of the areas where we go on the Pemina Valley Tour. So those windmills are there for a reason. So you know you're always going to get a headwind. Right. And it lasts about 35 kilometers. So, oh, uh, man, it's tough. It, uh, a few of the folks that we were with this summer, they described it as soul crushing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But when we got to the village of Somerset and we we're setting up for tents and we went for dinner, you know, you had a, everyone had a smile on their face. That's awesome. Have you listened to the podcast, the conversation I did with Katrina Rosen? Have you listened to that one? No, it's okay. Oh, Katr yeah. Uh, Katrina from, from Winnipeg. Uh, no, Katrina. Oh, yeah. Sorry. She is from Winnipeg. That's right. Katrina yeah. and Mike. Have you listened to yeah. that one? Well, I, I didn't, um, is that about their ride with their son? Um, well, it's, 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 it's about, uh, you know, it's about her. She just beginning to write the book, um, with you by bike and, uh, talking about, um, an injury she, she sustained and how she's been riding an e-bike to help her get through that, you know, to, she's, she's a, she was a very, uh, intense athlete doing, uh, adventure racing and, yeah. uh, did really well on the Alberta Rocky 700, but then she got this, um condition in her legs and uh and uh we had a conversation a little bit about the about the e-bike thing so yeah go back and listen to it it's pretty inspirational actually and then last um last summer they went to europe and they did a massive tour i can't remember how many kilometers they did it was huge but she went on she was on a on an e-bike and uh, she said there's so many charging stations and uh they they basically made made her bike i think the pack horse because they just packed everything onto her bike um, yeah. even though she was kind of, you know, had a, had an injury and had to ride through that, it, it the e-bike made it uh, accessible for her. So it's a cool well, story. Oh, I absolutely will. And I'm, I'm feeling a little guilty here. No, for, no, no. Uh, uh, I think what's interesting in all the science is there. And, you know, as a guy who has spent his life in health and reading articles and, and writing journal submissions, et cetera, the science is there that shows that regardless of the bike you're on, you're still getting a level of exercise. Oh, of course. Um, will, will you be as spent uh, suffering through the mountains for 100 kilometers uh, on an e-bike versus a regular bike? I think it all depends on level of fitness and effort you put in. You will still burn calories. You will still get to experience that quiet moment. You're just doing it differently. And I really hope that we can start. I think it's happening. Just saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what it is that you're using. So we get away from thinking out of it as cycling as cycling world. 
but as a transportation world. You're getting from point A to point B with a smile on your face. It doesn't matter what you're riding. So you mentioned in um, the article, the, the history. Do you want to talk a little bit about the history of that area? Um, Sure. So the, the Pemina Valley, uh, some of the small communities, Bruxelles, Notre Dame de Lourdes, these were really settled by a lot of the Belgian and French settlers, you know, uh, pre-1900. So they basically came to a region, first of all, that looked like home. And B, the land was cheap. Uh, C, they were really lucky because the land was incredibly, uh, incredibly good land. They weren't uh, rock farmers, as my family was in another part of Manitoba. <laughs> so they had great land that they were able to come to, and it was homesteading. And that's how these communities, so hardworking folks, French, Belgian cultures, deeply, deeply instilled, and you still see remnants of it today. So the communities are, what's interesting is having spent in the time I did in Belgium, they're really set up like the Belgian communities, which are, they used to be 40 or 50 kilometers away or a little further. Uh, things are now getting a little more dense. So you, you definitely see this, Community set up with enough distance, but yet you can still connect. Um, so uh, a lot of that French history is there. It's in the names uh, uh, of all the towns. Uh, St. Claude, uh, Miami is a bit of an exception. <laughs> Somerset is a very, uh, actually a very Francophone town. And so they're founded by people that were generally agriculture based and really resourceful. Uh, and uh, rich history in terms of civic participation and action. Everything from uh, Somerset community realizing they needed to have a campground to bring people in for a public place when people come back home to visit. So the Kinsman group got together 30, 40 years ago and put together this amazing campground. They let us use it. They gave us a place to, to lock up our bikes. And it was because of community effort. Um, so you have the history both, I think, in terms of the culture. And you'll see it in everything from some of the monuments and all the old schools and some of the remnants of them to the museums, uh, the wonderful regional museum in Somerset, the, the civic engagement from turn of the century to now, from uh, accomplishments in healthcare to the contributions to, to both wars um, and to just Manitoba. Uh, and I think part of it is it really comes down to conversations and food. And, and I talked about the conversations. I was blessed to meet this gentleman who I can't remember his name, who lived outside Bruxelles and it was through one of my bikepacking connections, a gentleman named Jason Carter, who Shout out to him, uh, Tour Divide rider in Compostelle. And we spent an evening with this gentleman who was in his 90s. And we talked about the history of Bruxelles and how his family uh, came. And it was a wonderful, wonderful chat. And he still spoke some Vlams. And, you know, it was interesting. I spent this evening and I went, this is a great night. I need to come back. Well, sure enough, six months later or eight months later, he passed away. And I didn't get a return visit. So I think... What dawned on me is that history you need to capture at the moment and enjoy it because it may not last. Um, and that to me was something that when I'm in the Pemina Valley, I see it's every conversation of every local and every little monument um, that's there. You know, for example, one of the last remaining trestle bridges on an old bike path we found, which is an old railway line. It's one of the last remaining trestle bridges of its types in Western Canada. And it was mag magnificent. We all stood there and looked at it. And one of our riders was, uh, was an architect, and he couldn't believe the engineering behind it. And we just stood there and went, this is history. We're touching it, we're feeling it, and we're able to enjoy it. I think it's really interesting how you can kind of go into these small towns and, and get, you know, get the warm reception. And then people are so open with talking about their lives with you, probably. Right? What are you up to? It's like, oh, well, tell, tell me about your little town here. And they'll probably just open up and... That's that makes for the experience, right? 
Oh, and, and a lot of the conversations are through food. We're in Somerset and at Gigi's restaurant. And uh, she, her partner is from Australia and they met on a bike trip somewhere. And she goes, I love bike packing, but I want to go to Europe and do it. And I said, do it in your backyard. And yeah. she couldn't believe what we were doing around the corner from her. And yet sitting in a restaurant talking about the, the valley and uh, she spends winters in Australia and other places and uh, just talking and choosing, you know, somebody in her uh, kind of a young entrepreneur. And it was great because you get a connection between the history stuff and then somebody who's trying to really reframe what communities are for the history of the future. And uh, yeah, you know, people are open. You go to a store, you go to a restaurant. Everyone wants to chat. What are you riding? What are you doing? Where are you coming from? Oh, did you go over this hill? You know, we have the best road you need to go down. <laughs> and uh, you always have to write those down because then you'll get to it and you realize that they were right. This really is special and you're not going to find it on a GPS map. So in, in what region, like, is there um, routes kind of further east, kind of into the Canadian Shield, kind of up north where you can where you can get pretty remote? There is one area we did, which I had an article that uh, I was trying to find a home for it. So if anybody uh, has a good place, they want an 800 word article. Uh, it was called The Last Bike Tour. I'm happy to, it's ready for publication. Hey, we'll send it, um, send it over to Bikepack Canada and we'll, we'll see if we can get it up there maybe. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so that's a loop we have in our interlake area. So it's not so much the shield, it's more northern, and that's our interlake. So that's our lake region. And that's an old railway line that we discovered through, well, we've raced on it 20 years ago, 25 years ago on mountain bikes. And now we're back bikepacking, we have, uh, bikepacking on it and riding. And that's an area, it's kind of a, a straight up and a straight back. So it's, you know, in bikepacking, everything should be circular, never an out back. And uh, this loop is interesting because it's an old railway line. and you will not see anyone. So you can go for a two-day ride. There's a B&B on the way, and you will never encounter a car because they're not allowed on it. Ah, so, cool. Yeah, and you go by a couple small lakes and some beaver dams and a couple cute little towns. Um, uh, I should Inwood was one of them. The best sandwich, no, second best sandwich you'll have in Manitoba. <laughs> where was Miami's the Where the was the where, in Miami? Right, that's the best. Yeah, the uh, the the little grocery interior in Miami, Manitoba. Um, and so the Inwood area, that's a two-day ride we did, which we uh, we want to actually bring folks out as well, maybe do a guided tour. And it actually would be a perfect loop for uh, e-trikes, so e-bikes or even like an e-trike, um, because we can set it up in such a way that it's uh, an easy ride, easier ride, and uh, really, you know, conditions are good. Um, and yet you get to connect to the interlake, which is a very different feel than, say, the Rockies or, say, uh, our interlakes are... Uh, it can be marshy at times, but there's a stillness in our interlake area because it's that wide open spaces again. And you're near some lakes pretty close and you just have this calmness and different trees and vegetation and a stillness, which really is that's Manitoba. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for too. I think is that, is that, that stillness, that break from, from monotony in life kind of thing. So that sounds, yeah. sounds lovely. You know, on a funny story with that one, we uh, we didn't really have a camping plan, so we decided to camp in the school ground because why not? And there happened to be a Ukrainian wedding uh, across the uh, across the the way from us. So well, I was in my glory, uh, but all my uh, my campmates weren't so happy about it. But uh, so we had this Ukrainian party going till two or three in the morning, and I thought it was great. <laughs> uh, but the next morning, we were at the Fisher Branch Motor Inn and chatting with some locals, and who said, "When are you going to bring more people?" That's what the, the what stayed with me. They said, "Bring as many as you can, because they want they want to see folks in town. They right. want these places to survive." And 
you know, a cyclist can have a big, a big impact. 10 cyclists spend a hundred bucks a day on food. If you add it all up, that's a good investment in a community. You know what? And that's even, even more reason to, to uh, loosely organize an event, right. And put a track out there and uh, to support that. Cause I was going to ask, um, what's, what's kind of the economic footprint of Manitoba? Like what's their, what's their mainstay? Egg tourism. Um, we have a, a strong public sector presence in small to medium sized business. Okay. Uh, ag is still, ag is still very big. Um, tourism is a big driver, especially in the Northern Manitoba. I know there's been some discussion about how Northern communities like Churchill adapt to climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, will polar bears be around and coming be available for tours in 10 years? We don't know that the answer right. to that. And I'm not, uh, uh, a climate change specialist, I couldn't tell you. So um, tourism is important. And tourism, believe it or not, isn't the folks flying in from other parts of the world. It's local tourism. It's getting people from out of Winnipeg or somewhere else visiting a community. It's easy, it's inexpensive, and you don't have to fly anywhere. And we don't can't all do the, the you know, the divide or these, ama- you know, all these amazing races. Love to do them all, but it's the economic reality. You can do one good thing a year, and the rest of the time you're you're looking for these little adventures. And for some people, these little adventures is is really how they make up a year. And for me, uh, after last year, starting it with a, I did a, a crazy endurance running event on a lake in Manitoba here called the Active Epica, which is really interesting. And I ended it with the Vermont Super 8. And I thought this year, um, it's going to be a Manitoba year. So I can spend my time riding here and impact my economy locally. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I think too, what I've seen in the last handful of years, just being involved in the, the bikepacking community is, you know, I'm really glad you reached out because, you know, we had people reaching out from, from, uh, you know, Ontario, Matthew Katie with the BT 700, right? Now you're in Manitoba, you know, we've got BC, we've got, um, uh, Ari, I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow. He's, uh, and I, I'm sorry, Ari, but I, I don't know how to pronounce your last name yet. But, you know, he's in Halifax right now. He's in the process of riding across Canada. He started in November. I can't wait to talk to him. But, you know, we're, we're starting to span our entire country. And now we're now we're going to have all these wicked events. Like, you know, BC, like you said in your email to us, it's just like, I know we're not the hotbed of bikepacking, but it's just like, you can be, right? And look, and that's what you're doing. You know, it's it's people like you who are developing these, these, uh, these well, events or you know, these tours that that's, it's helping Canada, right? It's, it's basically helping your community and it's building the bike packing community as well. So, I mean, thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's amazing. Oh, well, thank you. You know, and really, I'm really committed to the inclusive side and mm-hmm. uh, shapes and sizes and abilities to me, why not make bike packing? And it's not about why it's, it's how do we allow it so that you can show up to a ride, you can show up to a tour, and you have people not on an E and somebody on an E, but you can have a conversation together. And it's, uh, it changes us from the, the cycling world, which I've always said, I, I love the activity. I hate the sport. <laughs> uh, the sport of bike racing is something that I, I don't miss, but I love the activity. And I love being able to have that, you know, see that smile on someone's face after a, you know, a ride. It doesn't matter distance. It could be X number of kilometers yeah. of X amount of time. And they're happy and they feel like they've accomplished something and they, you know, have the guilty pleasure lunch and you ride back and they go, that was a great day. If we can do that, I think, uh, and we can impact our communities. I think we're off, uh, we're doing something well and it's low impact tourism. Let's be honest. We're not flying across the world. No. And you're right. It is super low impact. And and I think you touched on something there as well as just the, uh, 
um, the mental health aspect of riding bikes. Like I've, I've always had a bit of a, uh, I've always tried to fit that into the podcast, some sort of, you know, just trying to lean on the mental health benefits of, you know, you could, you could have such a crappy day at work or a crappy day at home and you may not even feel like going for a ride, but you always feel good when you come back. Always you, feel good. That's an interesting point, you know, and it's, I've been uh, spending a bit of time looking at um, mindfulness lately, which, uh, me too, man. It's pretty crazy, huh? It's really crazy. And <laughs> I, it really dawned on me while I was doing the super eight. Um, Oh God, there's one morning. It was about six in the morning, six thirty. sun's coming up. I have three almond croissants that are saggy from two days, like saggy and kind of gross. And I'm going down this long gravel climb down, downhill at about 60 K an hour with no hands on my bars. You know, up a roadie <laughs> and I'm eating, eating my almond croissants. And I kind of said to myself, Ryan, if things ended today, your bike fell apart and you had to go home. You've accomplished what you needed. You're eating almond croissants on a crazy descent and life is good. Yeah. Um, so I think that from the mental health side, I think mindful riding is something we should all consider. And uh, that's something that I really want to explore more. I know I've been chatting with some folks in the professional world of how do we incorporate mindful riding? What does that look like? I don't know yet. Maybe we'll do a follow-up chat. Um, and anyone can do that. And like you said, uh, being able to turn our brains off from the busyness of life and just experience uh, just go for a ride. Yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah. It may not always be easy. You know, you have to work through things, as you know, sometimes. But I think that's open to everybody. And a ride doesn't have to be four hours. No. It could be 15 minutes. Yeah. It could be a 10-minute cruise. And uh, just uh, you go through a bit of a mental process and get yourself back to just calm. But, you know, I, I go on the other extreme. I spent uh, a wonderful time in, the, in Atlantic Canada riding a tandem with my daughter across PEI. Awesome. Uh, she's, uh, she's a little hammerhead, but she doesn't like gravel. So that's the problem. But uh, Well, she has no say because she's probably sitting in the back. So just yeah, be quiet. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, she's, uh, she's, she's fast. Yeah, uh, she awesome. Is, uh, Sorry, how she old is she? To, she's 13 and a half 13. and she's been riding a tan. She did her first 100K race with me at eight years old. Amazing. Uh, and she ate one apple. She forgot to eat breakfast that day. So she's a tough kid. But uh, we were riding in PEI, and if this is before, honestly, the whole mindfulness stuff is something that's only come to the vernacular for me in the last, say, a few months. But we were riding in PEI, and we had a moment, and I took a picture of it, which is kind of uh, just sit, her sitting on a park bench or having a, something to drink on the, the, the biker using. We went for a long, beautiful long ride that day, and it was a, mind, and it was a mindfulness moment. And we looked at each other and said, today is a great day. We're lucky. We're physically well. It's a great, wonderful day. Remember this. Capture yeah. this in our memories because winters are cold, long, and dull in Winnipeg at times. And that was a moment. It's a moment in time that will stick with me. And I think we can have those. And they don't have to be going to PEI. I can do that in my backyard. Uh, I can leave uh, home and in 15 minutes, be out of the city on a little area and have that experience. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. I'll give people that experience right at home. Kind of to rewind back to the e-bike thing a little bit. Um, if you do supported tours, um, is there a method of loading um, a battery into a, into a, a support vehicle so that you could top people up at certain points along the route? So uh, I think great question. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> like get a Tesla Powerwall, right? And shove it into the yeah, back of your van. <laughs> uh, but keep in mind that I'm, uh, you know, Polish and from the north end of Winnipeg, which means we're resourceful and cheap. So there's no <laughs> Teslas in the north end of Winnipeg. 
But um, so what the two things that I'm doing to address that, number one is have my extreme test bed. So I could basically say within a 5% variance that that bike will make it on our loop based on these conditions, based on these charge points. Um, the big tour in the Pemina Valley, um, depending on, you know, how things go and if you start getting a lot more bodies out, I would love to propose and help write a grant for the community to set up a, an e-bike station right. in town. Uh, so that would be one. Number two, they're, they're, they're kind of supportive, but not really in the sense that when we go out in a group, there's no sagwag and there's no support vehicle. Um, I started building a trailer last year based on something out of South Africa that was actually going to have uh, a couple of lead uh, deep cycle batteries and charging abilities, kind of more high throughput. I actually wasn't thinking e-bikes at the time. I just thought tools and things. Right. Um, and I'm actually uh, this weekend, I think, looking at a I'm looking at a Dodge Sprinter van. Oh, nice. Uh, a diesel, and I'm thinking of actually going to be doing that in the back. So if we park it, say, at the endpoint. And people could then charge if we're in an area that doesn't have power. Uh, so absolutely looking to address it. I'd love to do solar. I don't think you can capture enough mm. solar to charge an e-bike battery, but I'm going to be testing it. Any companies have a technology they want tested. We have sun here. We got wind. Uh, so it's a perfect test bed. We have a lot of solar. Um, so that's a great question. I think I'm going to address it through strategic points, almost like uh, – you know, with PetroCan setting up their charge station across Canada. Of course, I'm not a big PetroCanada. This is Prairie Velo uh, running out of St. Boniface, but looking at strategic charge stations and people that maybe want to invest in community endeavors uh, in that, number one, and some type of portable system that, that'll work. And uh, my first test case will be the summer when I have a couple of e-bikes and we're in, a, in an area with no power. So I have to figure it out. So e-bike charging is just 110, right? Yeah, correct. They should... They're setting up all these car charging stations. They should just put a 110 outlet in the back of those things. Well, and that's something that uh, I don't have any connections with Petrocan, but uh, if anybody from Petrocan does bike packing and wants to talk to a guy who does public-private partnerships, uh, I could give you the hook of how to make it happen and make it economically viable. You know, There's got to be someone like, who listens to this podcast who's involved in oil and gas who could reach out to Brian and... Uh, there Start is a very strategic way. Oh yeah. You know, the public private partnership and think social enterprise. I know those are big kind of hooey dooey terms these days, but there's a really easy way to put in, to put a spin on it and to, to make it work and get your payback and to have it. Um, there's a great story about a gentleman, I can't remember which community in the States who set up a, a little cabin for cyclists. Cause he realized this could be an area for cyclists to come to. And it turned into like this little hub. So community A, B, or C, wherever in Canada, you're saying we need something. Um, a, number one, you give an opportunity for folks to start using e-bikes, reduce a carbon footprint, reduce your traffic, vehicular traffic, save money if it's even municipal use, and B, you're going to draw people. Imagine if we had charging stations across Canada and you could do an e-bike tour across Canada. Okay, that's a crazy thought. But no, it's you not. I don't think well. it's crazy. You want to go to Alberta and you want to be able to go on a bike tour in a couple smaller areas, not the Banffs, which are amazing, but smaller places and experience it. Well, you're going to be bringing, you know, 10 cyclists on e-bikes yeah. and it's zero carbon footprint. Yeah. And it can be all season two, right? Um, absolutely. I think there's, so charging is an issue, but I don't think it's a huge issue. It's not the same infrastructure challenges as a vehicle. Well, I think that'll emerge over time. I think you'll see. You'll see that emerge over time. I, I, maybe in, in uh, more remote areas, it might, you know, obviously it'll trickle down slower to those areas. But I think if there's a push, 
from say Bonjour Manitoba reaching out and just saying, hey, you know, this is what we're working on with Brian, and you know, he wants to make biking accessible, which is even trails that are being built now. Any trail that's being built to quote unquote standard is an accessible trail, right? They're how wide are they? Three or four feet wide, and yeah, you know, kind of more buff, and and so I think there's um there's a movement happening in that area, so the timing might be relevant. Actually, it might be yeah. It, it, absolutely. And I think we could drive it by data. You know, decisions are driven by obviously social need, but also the business interest and data. And the, the data is there. You know, I was looking at the trickle down effect of a cyclist in a day and kind of you know, as an economist, my mind is full of numbers all the time. Yeah. And, you know, you start looking at the trickle down impact of a cyclist, not only what you do in that day, but who you spent money with to get your gear for that. And the trickle down like three or four layers. So one person plugging in at a charging station probably has an economic value of $500 to $2,000 that they've invested in the community and businesses to plug in. Wow, that's crazy. Because it, it's the trickle down. It's You bought a bike from somebody who bought it from somebody and all the other things, that are the ancillary elements of it. So And, and you got to wait to charge it. So then you're going to walk across the street to the restaurant and you're going to have some food. And then, yeah. you know, then those people get supported. You know, they get you know, tips, the servers get tips. So they're going to live better lives. And yeah, you're right. It totally trickles down. And, you know, and I, you know, I actually will disagree with you. I hope that's okay. That of course. I think, I think the drive should come from non-urban communities. Everyone thinks, well, the big cities have all the answers. And I don't always think so. I think if we start seeing um, smaller communities wanting to do a charging station, uh, you know, uh, looking at trying to fund it somehow, you know, a community endeavor, solar ch uh, charging station, do a pilot project, happy to work with them. Um, I think that'll drive change. It's oh, of not course. not going to be necessarily. And let me clarify, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that it should be that way. I just say that just seems to be the way things emerge, right? Oh, absolutely. But it's, I think it's an exciting time for really, you know, we're talking about bikepacking, but I think we're really talking about transportation yeah. and low carbon travel and mental health. Like to me, yeah. bikepacking is an avenue for healthier minds, healthier bodies of all sizes and shapes and abilities, and being able to do it in your backyard. And that's really what we're trying to do with Barry Gala. What's the, uh, what's the winter situation out there for riding bikes? Uh, I've commuted uh, for 20 years in the winter, so I've gone through everything from minus 53. Oh, uh, that's so cold. Oh, my uh, gosh. We did an 80K ride in minus 53, and that one, it froze my brain um, a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, th this year's been mild. So we've had the minus 25s, minus 30s. It lasted a couple of days. So winter commuting is limited. Um, you have the diehards. But will you see the average person on an e-bike in the winter in Winnipeg? Absolutely not. Hmm. Um I think, honestly, different ways of getting around that are influenced by e-bikes, and I don't know what that means yet. Um, I think we need to start thinking differently about what a bike is as well in Winni Winnipeg. You know, is it a bike with a track? I don't know. And it's an electric motor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, to put, slippery. Yeah. To put the, the e-bike side of it aside, I mean, just general, generally in cycling, um, it would be interesting to develop a winter ultra out there, don't you think? Do you think well, we have one. Do you? We have the yeah, we have the active Epica, which is in February. Uh, I think there's some still spots open, and it's a uh, the longest one. I think is a 200k, a fat bike race. That's awesome. Talk yeah, talk starts, about that. Is that something you've developed, or who's developing that? No, uh, I did not develop it. Uh, somebody who was uh, was from Winnipeg, Namian Hall, was one of the founders of it. He's open in BC now. Um, 
on the uh, Sunshine Coast, uh, living the dream. The total opposite uh, so he, <laughs> of Winnipeg, yeah. right? It's probably yeah. 10 degrees there right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, it was a few folks that developed it. It really was a way to uh, push the human body and provide an opportunity for folks that just use transport, you know, uh, foot or pedal transportation to experience uh, a winter event. So there's, I did the, the winter running, running event. Uh, we did it as a fast hike with loaded packs for fun. Uh, I, I, I walked for like a week before. Um, note to self, never do that again. Uh, don't do a week of training and then do like a 70 kilometer walk. Probably not a good idea. No, my feet didn't like me. No. <laughs> uh, so they have a uh, 100K loop. They had a 50K loop, a shorter uh, fat bike event. You can do it on any bike. And then they have the longer event. And they actually use some of the crowing trail, the, the trail that I'm developing in the summer, they use in the winter. Cool. Um, they, they've had some challenges, I think, with uh, conditions because they vary in Manitoba, mm. especially in the last year or two. They went from really cold to kind of this mild stuff and trying to get trails that are packed enough. Mm. But it uh, it draws a lot of people. It's a great event. And it's called Active Epica, and it's in February, and it launches up the Forks. Um, uh, that's uh, the Forks is right in, down right in our, the heart of Winnipeg. I'm going to write that down. Active Epica. Cool. Um, do you ride a fat bike? I've had a love hate hate <laughs> love relationship. So, coming from my background, I first time on a fat bike, I couldn't believe how slow I was going. Oh man, you're so slow. <laughs> I I everyone around me that I was riding fat bikes with hated me for a little while because all I did was complain. Why am I going so slow? <laughs> my fixed bike, my fixed gear goes faster in the winter. Um, sadly, somebody decided they liked my fat bike more than I did. Uh, so it's somewhere floating around the stolen bike world and I have not replaced it yet. I, uh, uh, so no, at the present moment, I am not, I don't have a fat bike, but, uh, well, never say never. I don't know, man. I think you should try it. I think you should try to get back into it. You have to accept the fact that it's slow, but be open to the idea that, uh, it's way more capable to take you into places that you couldn't get on your skinny bike. That's all. It's slow. It's a tank, right? I mean, some of them, there's some pretty nice bikes, some pretty nice, lightweight, carbon, fat bikes. But yeah, you are turning over, you know, a, 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 a huge volume tire. You know, the tires are a bit heavier. I don't know how much a tire weighs. Well, maybe 1,400 grams, like what, two or three pounds a tire? Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really pay attention to weight. But um, I love fat biking, man. I just, I love it. Well, I, you know, it's, uh, this is part of my mindfulness journey that, uh, like I said, I'm never going to say never, but my, my slow movement, I think, you know, mentally, I think I could probably, uh, appreciate it now, uh, where I'm going with, uh, the bike packing and hauling the trailers of everyone's gear is 60 pounds and, you know, trying to keep up with everyone. So I think I'm there, I think I'm, I'm getting there. So it'll just be a bit of a process to figure out, uh, what I, what, what I should ride. Yeah, well, there's a lot to choose from. I mean, I don't know if there's really a right answer. You just got to get well, and that's the thing too. You can integrate that into your e-biking um, portfolio. So you could have some e e fat bikes. Yeah, I'll have to figure ah, out if, if there's anybody down. who's a manufacturer who's thinking about doing some testing on their winter e-bikes. I could take an e-bike and do the Pemina Valley in the winter. Happy to do it. There you go. So send send uh, send Brian a bike. How do the batteries perform in the cold weather? Uh. Great question. Um, pretty good. I know uh, some of the uh, discussions I've had with engineers, I like talking to the tech folks. There's a certain cutoff, so getting your battery warm before you go. So if you leave it overnight, it might be a little grumpy, but it's at a uh, minus 10. Uh, 
above minus 10, um, you'll probably get a couple hour range out of it. That's not yeah. too bad, depending on, I guess, what, what mode you're using it in. Or... Yeah, the mode and I guess the weather. So like I said, in the Pemina Valley, I will, I think we could have some amazing tests to really see like how far can you go with one in a Winnipeg winter. Yeah. Um, that cold, dark, brutal winters could come to an advantage of manufacturers. Yeah, it's take good, advantage. good testing for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. It's definitely not Vancouver. <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I'm a busy family guy, but all I can think about right now is how to get my butt out there to, to go riding. So I, I don't know. We'll have to make that happen in the next, in the next little while. When my kids are a bit older, maybe I can get away. How old are your kids? Uh, four and six. Well, five, oh, okay. five and seven, soon to be five and seven. They're pretty young. Well, you know, a road trip, come out to the prairies. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We always go, we always go west because we have family on the island. So we're always going west. And I moved here from Squamish. So I'm, I was kind of a coastal boy. I'm originally from Ontario, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, as you're saying. Yeah. Deep River, Ontario. Shout out to Deep River, a little town in northern Ontario there. But um, Did, didn't Johnny Cash sing a song about Deep River? Oh, my God. I'm not a Johnny Cash fan. So maybe, maybe he's probably been through there. Yeah. Yeah. There's not um, much going on in Deep River. So if you don't mind me asking, what do you do in Indermere? What do I do here? Yeah. Oh, um, well, I moved here about a decade ago. I I trans I worked for IntraWest Corporation. I worked for Whistler Blackham for many years. Okay. Um, as a you know, rental tech and shop manager. And then I got into telecommunications and network administration. And I ended up uh transferring out here after um um a mobile like a telecommunication mobility administrator job that I was working for downtown Vancouver. I, I moved out to Panorama and was their IT manager for about 18 months and, okay. and then, uh, met a lovely girl and she wanted to go traveling and I asked for a leave of absence and they wouldn't give it to me. So I just quit <laughs> and then reevaluated everything. Cause you know, I never really liked IT. I, I, I do. I did. Um, I liked what I was doing in, in Whistler. I was like, um, kind of a network admin, but I was like the cable guy. You know, Jim Carrey and the cable yeah. guy. I was that guy. Yeah. No one really yeah. knew who I was, but I always had tools and cables and I was hooking up wireless equipment. Fixing and, things. Yeah. Pat, like punching down patch panels and configuring routers. And, yeah. and that I was that guy, right? Sitting in the closet yeah. on the floor programming stuff. But, uh, um, I really, you know, now I'm, now I'm a shipper receiver for just a local hardware store in town. And it's a, it's a great job because it's, I'm, I'm on my feet. I'm out in the yard. I'm inside. I still do computer work. It's, it doesn't pay like IT did. That's for sure. But, well, and I guess, I, and I hope I didn't put you on this. No, not at all. You do, I was, maybe I should have asked the question, what was your journey to get you where you are? Because to me, you know, that's what I find is the ultimate equalizer. You know, you can be on a ride, you can have a group together, and everyone has a history. Everyone has some interesting stories oh, or yeah. background or context that brings them to where they are. And those are the conversations I think you, you don't have at the start of a ride. You have after X amount of time, and let's not even say numbers or kilometers and be, you know, try to be uh, too specific, but... You can have those conversations and then people open up of their background mm -hmm. and what they do and but more about who they are. Let's say not what they do, but who they are. And then you realize you have a connection with someone you'd never oh, thought yeah. before. Absolutely. And that's I think where bikepacking can be the ultimate equalizer. Um, you know, in my journey to get here, uh, you know, I spent uh, a considerable time in one industry and I'm out of that now um, at a perfect time. Um, and I'm really happy with kind of, but it's a journey as, as you're saying, you know, and I, where I'm going, I have no idea. This is uh, I'm going somewhere. Yeah. That, I mean, that was just the work journey. I mean, life is, life is crazy, man. Life is just so chaotic. So chaotic. I never yeah. thought that I'd be a 48 year old guy with, with two kids, like under 10. Like I, I never, I never figured I'd be there. 
And, uh, it's, that's a journey in and of itself. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's just where my life went, but I've always ridden bikes. Like I've always, I was a skateboarder as a kid. And, you know, I always, when I moved to Whistler, that's when kind of the mountain biking thing really spawned. This was, this was in the early nineties. So there was no bike park, you know, there's nothing going on there really in terms of, you know, and now it's just like, you've got like what uh, the um, crank works going on. Like it's crazy the way biking's exploded there. And then, you know, I was a short track guy and, you know, just ripping trails. And then (laughs) someone talked me into, into these bike packing things. And, and then I, I got, I entered an event and scratched on it and, and didn't think I'd ever do one again, but I really liked the whole concept. And then, yeah, the, the community is so amazing. And yeah, you, you meet all these people from different walks of life from an, from say, um, you know, a palliative care nurse, elite bike racer to, to some, you know, just a guy who's who's nomadic, just riding across Canada, all these people, and we all connect. We all have this, this same connection. And that whole idea, you say, you know, you're riding with people and then suddenly you're opening up. I think that's the other side of the mental part of biking is once you, once you filter out all the bullshit, you, you become a bit more vulnerable, right? And because you yeah. feel this this camaraderie and and this this tribalism with these people that you're hanging out with, you you do open up. What else are you gonna do? You you got to talk about something if you're riding these long distances with people, right? Oh, absolutely, and it's wonderful. And, I love uh, it. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. Um, I think we're on the exact same page. You know, uh, I honestly never thought a year or two ago I'd be sitting here having this conversation and being kind of where things are going very bellow and running. Uh, you know, being able to offer some bikes to folks and some of the e-stuff. I honestly never thought I'd be here. And it's like, it's a, it's a good day. It's a, it's a wonderful day. I spent a long time in global public health dealing with international outbreaks oh, wow. and uh, disease, uh, vaccines for diseases nobody thought were important uh, until now. Uh, and you know, a gentleman I worked with for a long time and uh, just amazing history with uh, the military. And he, uh, he had passed away and I saw them the day before and we had this wonderful conversation. And he said, do the things that have meaning and bring that make you happy. And he said, don't stop riding. And I remember that sat with me and it sat with me for a long time. And he said, keep riding. Cause I would tell him stories when he was in the hospital. I'd send him texts about a ride I did or, or not even an event, but a ride. And he just said, keep riding, keep doing what you love. And, uh, uh it's, it's important. It's important to, to take those moments and do things, bake the cake, not just eat it, not yeah. just consume it. Like, I guess that an- an analogy came off pretty well then. Because oh, yeah, it does kind of make sense, right? <laughs> totally. Awesome. Um, what else? What else do you want to talk about? What else are you working on? Uh, so Prairie Velo, you know, we've uh, got some tours. We've got some outfitting. Um, I've uh, been working really hard. Winnipeg's, uh, you know, our winters are hard and tough. So we have a lot of time to think and do stuff. So uh, I, uh, there, was an art, there was a company out of uh, South Africa who was featured on Bikepacking Magazine a week or two ago with some pretty cool projects. I reached out to them. And Prairie Velo is going to be deal, uh, online uh, selling some of their products, some add-on bars for bikepacking stuff. Oh, cool. And uh, so I'm kind of um, putting together a collection of stuff that I'll be able to sell to folks that are reasonably priced within reason, um, that are really things that I find that, I, that, I, that, I would, that I'm going to use. Um, bag swag. Uh, one company I saw out of Taiwan was a really cool, inexpensive device to prevent bag swag. It drove me crazy in Vermont. Need to fix that. Um, and, uh, I'm an arrow guy. So finding some arrow bars are cool. Um, so trying to put together some interesting products that complement the whole bike packing experience. Um, I think everyone's up to their eyeballs and bags. 
So what else is there that we can complement what we do? Part of it is I need to have stuff on my fleet. So it gives people options mm. for seating and stuff. Um, so really it's outfitting. We're doing tours. I'm really excited to be a dealer for e-bike BC uh, and working uh, with the folks out of Montreal as well for some of the, the cargo bikes. So that's what we're doing. So uh, we have a bit of a virtual mobile situation. So no bricks and mortar yet, unfortunately. It's but, just the beginning. Uh, it's just the beginning. It's yeah, so the van, hopefully the van will be up and running. And basically it's a try before you buy and reach out. And, um, you know, I worked in the bike biz for 25 years and it was a great experience, but uh, I'm doing things a little differently, the ways that I, the way that I want to do things. And like I said, my focus is E, which is kind of fun. That's awesome. And uh, yeah. you, you mentioned that you were social, social networking shy, but you're building that up. Is that kind of... Yeah, I, uh, my, um, my alter ego, Vlad Progi, uh, <laughs> who's on Instagram, um, he, uh, that is me. And, uh, that's kind of the only social media presence I, I've had, uh, until now, but Vlad is going to become Brian Scholar, Chicken Prairie Bellow. Um, and yeah, so my daughter who's 13 said she'll head up my, uh, social media stuff, Perfect. but she told me, I that's have, perfect. But, but she said, I have to talk about something other than Progi's. I can't yes. just have pictures of pierogies and trailers full of potatoes. She says, nobody understands your weird humor. <laughs> so I think, I think I will understand your weird humor. Okay. Yeah. But you know, training with 40 pounds of potatoes is fantastic. Yeah, it is. You just throw um, that in your uh, frame bag. No, in the Burley trailer. That was oh, how I right. trained all summer. Carry a couple um, bags and funny enough, there. Burley uh, reached out to me recently. They want me to write for their, write for their blog. Well, that's awesome. And, I said to them, you realize I'm going to be talking about potatoes and cabbage and like farm <laughs> vegetables. Because um, I spent some time at a, a farm on the weekend. So often I'll, I'll take potatoes out or I'll take cinnamon buns for breakfast and I'll ride out for coffee break with right out there. They're in the tractors. I'm on my bike with my trailer and it's kind of weird, but they get me. It's family. So they understand <laughs> my weirdness. That's so, so yeah, um, Prairie so Velo will, will be social media very soon. That's great. Well, I think um, to have your 13-year-old involved in that is a good idea because I think they grasp the whole idea better than than us older guys, I think, a little bit. I have a love-hate yeah. relationship with social networking. Yeah. Well, and how do we, you know, and that's the one thing. I had a great conversation with somebody about uh, building your community in the off-seasons, and that's something I'm really thinking about. Um, I think things like Peloton are fantastic. They're getting people riding in virtual communities, but how do we connect people that don't want to spend $4,000 in a 50 month subscription. Yeah. Um, and I'm working on that. I, I think we can combine mindfulness with something else to bring people together in a way that um, kind of, kind of eliminates that um, getting there. I don't know what it's going to look like. Huh. We'll talk. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Keep me in the loop. Wonderful. Cool. Well, I really enjoyed the chat today, Brian. I think it's, it's fantastic. Everything you're doing and, and uh, Manitoba sounds super appealing to me. And I think uh, people should look into that. And so can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Um, Brian at prairievelo.ca. Uh, and then we'll be on the, uh, the Instagrams. Uh, we'll be on the Facebooks very soon and some other stuff. Um, I won't be a big comment guy. I just don't really want to engage in back and forth. But if you have a question, I'll try to answer. And then my website will be up. I'm working with a local designer and Bonjour Manitoba. They have a full page spread in a Travel Manitoba brochure this year for Kevin Valley tours and Prairie Velo stuff. So that's fantastic. Well, congratulations on, uh, on that. And I, I wish you all the best going forward and, and wish you a lot of growth. 
thank you so much. And I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be uh, to be a part of this and be part of the community more formally, not just kind of uh, on my own, plugging away, you know, with a pitchfork in the ground. You're in it now. And now we got to work on getting that event set up. All right. Cheer to Putin. Let's think about 2020. Putin. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, great. Brian. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Brian Sklarchuk, thank you again for your time. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to send me a voice intro, feedback, or guest suggestions, you can do that at bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. Send that stuff to me, and uh, I read I read them all. Uh, not that I get a whole ton of them, but please feel free to send them. Um, and I take your suggestions for uh, guests you want to hear from very seriously, and I always reach out immediately when I get a guest suggestion. So please do that. So again, thanks for tuning in. I want to thank Rebound Cycle for their support. By supporting me, you're supporting the Bike Pack Canada podcast, and I really appreciate it. So until next time, get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down.